Hi, everybody. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And you're listening to A Double Date with Dayline. What? What? You heard double, what I said. Double, 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 double. That's a good intro. <laughs> I'm keeping that. <laughs> we are talking about an episode that Katie is going to do. So Surprise. I'll just let her tell you. I'm doing a thing. What are we talking about? We're talking about the perfect murder. I'm still waiting for my call from ID Network so that I can go ahead and do the voiceovers. Because I listened to so many ID shows today. I know. Every time the woman narrator sounds. We open on a small Nantucket town. Yeah. I think it's one lady. It's one lady when they can't get Brenda Strong. I'm going to keep putting that voice in here until it gets heard by the right people. Right. I'm going to keep doing it because I can do it. And I would like a chance to prove myself on a national <laughs> scale. Thank you. Okay. I guess this is technically a national scale. But yeah. regardless. International. How rude of me. This is The Perfect Murder. It's a series on ID Network. This is on Discovery+. Plus. We are covering Season 1, Episode 6, Frozen Killer. It took me a long time to figure out that title, but I think I got there. Are you going Are you going to save it for the end? I think you'll get it as we're talking about it. Let's hope so, because I did this recap and I still don't have it. So <laughs> we'll, we're going to keep trying. I almost thought I watched the wrong one when I was looking at the title after I was done. I thought, oh, okay. Oh. Did you oh, get that's it? Not, yeah, but that's not even correct. That's not grammatically correct. Because a, a grammatically uh, correct name for this episode would be DJ Freeze. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we open. If anyone on- doesn't know what that is, that was a Dateline episode called Facing the Music or Face the Music. So I'm sure. It's also just our generic DJ is DJ yeah. Freeze. Burr, 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 DJ burr, Freeze. Burr, burr, burr. So we open on Labor Day weekend in Watham, Massachusetts, just outside Boston. We get shots of summertime fun. And we see an actual picture of the couple that we're going to be talking about today. And this is going to be James and Julie Cowan. Said completely differently than it's spelled. How is it spelled? Not Cowan. Queen. Queen? I think the E is before the O in the spelling. Oh. Quan? Quan? Like Michelle Quan. Yeah. Yeah. Nailed it. But also, we don't get to have that fun reveal at the end of normal ID shows where you see the real people and you're no. like, that's not what that actor looks like at all. But they do it right at the beginning. They do. And actually, they did a pretty good job casting in this. It's pretty close. We've seen much worse is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, we've seen much worse. So this this I thought was pretty spot on because we see them back to back. So we see a picture of the real couple, James and Julie Cowan, and then we hear what I'm thinking is the reenactment call of the 911 call. I do not think it's the real call. Did you think it was the real call? Unsure. Regardless, we hear, my wife is paralyzed and can't speak. Please send me an ambulance now. Yeah, that sounds like a reenactment. So Julie Cowan is rushed to the hospital and the reenactment James is frantic. He is panicking, saying, doctor, doctor, nurse, nurse. He's very high energy and he's in a vest, so you know he means business. And he's a ginger, so his face, which is already normally a little bit reddish tone, is even redder because he's amped. I have called him a super ginger. Extreme ginger. 
extreme because he's got freckles crazy freckles the whole night lots of the red freckles which i find adorable unfortunately he's playing this character but it's fine so she is also a petite brunette he's very tall redhead she's very small brunette so the doctor comes around the corner and tells james cowan that his wife is in a comatose state And we see James go in and be very, very distraught over her bed and say awful things like, you have to stay with me, Julie. It's very dramatic. He kisses her forehead. It's very, very sad. We don't really know what's going on. We know this is some kind of a flash forward and we're about to flash back. But I'm not sure why he's dressed like a magician (laughs) in the hospital room is what I'm going to need confirmation on. It's a green vest with a button-down shirt, no jacket. Remember that. It becomes important. He looks like he's in the big bad voodoo daddies. Without the fedora. It's a look, for sure. Yeah. And it's on purpose. So I have a really sneaking suspicion, possibly because of the vest, possibly because he's just really overdramatic. Even though this is a dramatic scene, it seems overplayed that this caring husband might be all a magic act. Yes. But then we have our intro for this series, and I don't really care about the intros. Would you like to tell people what it is? It's only bottom halves. It's mm-hmm. a bottom half intro. It is. It's, so we've got it's a ladies, we've got a lady's legs, fish fancy nets. like fishnets, red heels. heels, the whole thing with a gun. Yeah. And then we see a guy walking, just legs. In Timberland boots. De- then we see a lady walking, this time in like sandals. And then we see a guy walking in different shoes. Wing so we tip. get four sets of walking. I don't know why I had you do this when legs. you don't know what shoes are. <laughs> <laughs> Kimberly, identify the footwear. The important part is that they're shoes. I have shoe blindness and car blindness. They're just shoes. Like, we're seeing shoes walking. I don't know what that has to do with a perfect murder. I don't. I think it's meaning that this is all around the world at all different periods of time. Because some of them are period shoes and some of them, like, the sandals seem very specific to India because there's a sari happening above it. What appears oh, to be a sorry. Yeah, you got a lot more from it than I did. That's what I got. But I think it's just supposed to be timeless, ageless, placeless. The perfect murder could happen anywhere. Okay, I could buy that. They don't say that, but. I think it should be, it should have been more clear. Saddle shoes and a poodle skirt. I think it, they should have just made it a lot more clear. They had wingtips, which are very clearly 1920s, like easily identifiable. But I think a dapper man might wear them now. No? Possibly. Good point. Good point. It's true. So it's interesting. Let's go back to our story. We learned that Julie and James Cowan have recently moved to Massachusetts from Missouri. And one of our main interviews is with Julie's close friend, Christina, who is very pretty. She's got really dark hair and a really smart looking red blazer. Very white teeth. Very white teeth and pretty eyes. Big eyes. She's just very... um, interesting looking. I liked her a lot. And I like she was a great interview. We get some really good interviews. Julie and James are having a picnic in the reenactment. And James is in very preppy, I go to Yale cable knit sweater. Put a pin in that. And he's wearing a tie for no reason at a picnic. So we learned that they are a very sweet, loving couple. And I would assume that the picnic is there to suggest just that. We're being told that by the interviewers and shown a picnic. They like each other is what we're supposed to gather. Mm -hmm. Julie had a very down-to-earth upbringing in Missouri, and we learned she had a kidney condition when she was young that made her very resilient as well as very caring. 
James was raised in Jefferson City, Missouri, which is the state capital. Did anybody remember that from their state capitals in third grade? That's a hard um, one. You mean the state capitals that I try to learn again every year and fail? Did you remember Jefferson City? Because that one's hard. No, it's hard. Yeah, that one's that was a specific hard one. So if you don't, if you didn't remember that, it's okay. But if you did, gold star. I got to pull out that puzzle game that so a listener sent me. That is like learning the state. Did I not get you those placemats I found? The capitals. Yeah, and the placemats. I'm going to take all out all my tools. I'm going to download the app that's a game for children to learn. I don't know. I just have a real block about that. I can't get it. You have a lot of other stuff in there. Maybe there's no room for that. There's so much Seinfeld knowledge. <laughs> How could there be exactly possibly right. room for where is, I couldn't even think of a state, Tennessee. Nashville. No. Out of a state. I don't think the Nashville is the capital of Tennessee, actually. You should know that. Yeah, I really should, and I'm totally blanking on it. I feel like Nashville's the sneaky answer, like how Nevada's supposed no, to be. No, it's Nashville. Oh, but like how it's supposed to be Las Vegas, and it's Carson City. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many that trick you. It's not fair. Anyways, James was raised in Jefferson City, the state capital. His dad was a really well-known lobbyist in the state, but his dad died when he was a teenager, making James very determined to carry on the legacy of his super great father. And we get another main interview with his childhood friend, Betsy, who I also liked very much. And she says that James was super duper ambitious and was voted most likely to succeed which I personally feel like is a curse. You get that yearbook <laughs> moniker and you are doomed to fail. That is too much pressure. I, that'd be an interesting poll if any of our listeners wrote to us and said, well, because then I would follow up, what are you doing now? And then they would have to say, I'm a success or I'm a failure. You were voted that? But it was- You're very successful. Look at this show. You're hosting you a double date. all the time. <laughs> it's so not fair. Also, it was extenuating circumstances. People didn't understand the ballot. So we, we really don't, we really <laughs> don't were, know. Were there dangling chats? <laughs> Hanging chats? It might have been confusing terminology. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so it's fine. They might have thought they were voting for something else. But James isn't just ambitious. He's also super well-liked by everyone and very charismatic. But I don't believe that for a second because right now in this scene is why I chose this episode. Because James, James I have a little bit of a problem with. I hate him. I wrote, he is annoying as fork, but I wrote the actual F word. Yeah, I, f I figured you would not like him and so that's also why I chose this episode. And I love a ginger and I love a ginger guy. I know you do. So he here's what happens. He jumps into the hallway. There are three co-workers at one end of the hallway. He jumps into the other side of the hallway and shouts good morning and then does a little dance down the hallway <laughs> to, this is why we need to video yeah. our <laughs> sessions. Does a little dance down the hallway to the co-workers who have smiles plastered on their faces, but their eyes are not smiling. No, they're not. And they're clutching their coffee cups. Don't throw it in his face. Don't throw yeah. this coffee in his face. And it's that daily battle they have every time they see him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just throw it at him. That's my purse. I don't know you. It's just <laughs> run away. But he's really annoying. It's really annoying. But apparently that's charisma for you. Oh, by the way, he's doing all this. While in a suit and a green bow tie. Yeah. And at this point, I thought the green was his color. 
He is seen at green in key points throughout, but he doesn't always wear it, so I'm not going to make that no. statement. Yeah. Uh-uh. So now we're in Kansas City, where the couple have moved after being married for a year. Kansas City, Missouri. That took me a minute. And James became a... DJ Froze! Except he's like a morning... Like a morning disc jockey like sparky and the farts or whatever they call this i can't handle it he is a talk radio dj and i wrote in all caps oh lord help us all Mm -hmm. welcome back i'm your host james cowan bringing you all the big issues to get you through that morning commute this morning traffic today was ridiculous it was moving slower than my grandfather's bowel movements That's Literally, fart joke. He does a poop and a fart sound. And he talks like that in that almost movie phone voice. Yeah. I hate him. No, we, he's... And I was praying it wouldn't continue. I was like, please let him get fired from this job because I can't stand this I wrote anymore. now, kill me now, in all caps. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't, I can't handle it. But he's got charisma. <laughs> Betsy, his childhood friend, now tells us that he was a great DJ because he was always on. Which again is a that another does reason. not that makes him an annoying person to be around. Yeah. Yes. And maybe and people I've were friends told, with him because his dad was powerful. His dad was powerful twenty years ago. He's no longer with us. God bless him. Rest in peace. But like he is a nightmare. And I've been told I'm a little much. So I speak from that which that I know. Once, but I still claim it all the time. I was told that once in high school as well. So I, hate I heard that because you're not that someone said that about me that I make too big a deal out of everything. I hate that. That's the worst because it makes you feel the most self conscious. I need to. Can I have their name and email? Yeah. Okay, great. Did they get voted anything in high school? Most lame? Prob- no, but they were pretty popular bet they're not now you have an award-winning podcast (laughs) award-winning is award-winning is in quotes yeah yeah because i'm gonna give us an award (laughs) there's one coming in the mail that i'm giving us all right so there is no off switch for james unfortunately and that is unpleasant so james eventually gets a higher paying gig thank god and leaves his talk radio djing thing he goes into marketing and julie goes to work for an it healthcare company it was confusing because they kept saying she was a nurse, but she worked yeah. in IT. Yeah, for a healthcare company. I don't know how that works. But she was a nurse? Yeah. I don't really understand it. But he was in marketing. You do some marketing, don't you? I do do some marketing. I've seen some of your work online. It's impressive. Tell yeah, me about it. Do you recall what I do marketing? Listen, I have to create content for this show, for social media, if the horrible jokes that James is saying on his radio show is any indication, creating content is hard. Apparently not. <laughs> you just did it. There's nothing more frustrating than having a great idea for a social media post where Josh Mankiewicz is dressed like a BG to go with our last interview with him where he was talking about how he dressed in the 70s and you just can't make it happen to match the vision in your head. And I just want Josh Mankiewicz's head on John Travolta's body from staying alive. Why must it be so hard? Mm. But with Canva Pro, 
It's easy. Yes. With Canva Pro, I can design anything like a pro. On my laptop, even on my phone, I do it. It's a design platform that lets you create and share in just a few minutes. It's really fast and fun. You can start from a blank page. I've got a blank page, baby. And I start with Canva. And Oh. I don't know. I know that I just, one. Oh, good. Or they have templates. They have a ton of templates to choose from. They have fonts. They have photos. They have formatting. They have the whole thing that can make it match the vision in your head. And just endless amount of options. And you don't have to pay for images that have a watermark on it. So you can create that dreamy Josh Mankiewicz with an open shirt and John Travolta's chest hair showing photo of your dreams. You and four teammates can unlock everything Canva Pro has to offer for just $12.99 a month. And if you have a team, Canva is perfect for sharing, editing. You can comment in real time. So you're all designing together. It's not like endless. This could have been in an email back and forth and back and forth. It's like you can all virtually create together. I like it. And teamwork makes the dream work. And Canva makes working a dream work. Thank you. Congratulations. Design, design like a pro with Canva Pro. Right now, you can get a free 45-day extended trial when you use our promo code. Just go to canva.me slash date dateline to get your free 45-day extended trial. That's C-A-N-V-A dot M-E slash date dateline. Canva.me slash date dateline. 45-day extended trial. Get creating, people. We can, we Canva all do it. <laughs> Make the world Together. your Canva. Have I already used that one? You have, but it's still good. It's, st- it's still really, really strong. Darn. I like it. So back to exciting, charismatic James and the lovely jewelry. Ju- not jewelry. The lovely Julie. Julie was lovely. My one concern is someone said she would send people jokes of the day via email. And I don't love that. But at a very specific time, when she was feeling down herself. Okay, that's nice. I can appreciate Also, that. I would not mind a joke of the day from you. There's certain people that you can get that kind of stuff from. You know what I'm saying? It's either always from my cousin Ron or my mom. But that's, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, cool. Not that those jokes are not hilarious. Delete. I'm sure they're, de- I'm sure they're delightful. Okay, so James has got his higher paying gig. She's got her IT healthcare company job. Life is going really, really well for the next eight years or so of married life. They decide that they are ready to start a family because Julie loves children. But then one day, something extra exciting happens. No, she's not pregnant. Julie is in James's office where James is again in a vest with a button down shirt and no jacket. And he tells Julie, I've got a surprise for you. Close your eyes. I thought he was going to show her a pregnancy test. You d- I almost like did. That's why I, this is why I had to say it at the beginning. Because we go from she loves children into immediately, oh, different surprise. No, it's a different <laughs> surprise. But it does harken back to something I said about his cable knit sweater, if you'll remember from the beginning of this episode. Mm-hmm. You won't. But anyways, James pulls out a piece of paper and says... Open your eyes and read the first line. She screams. It's super exciting. He was apparently accepted to the Harvard Master's Program. In what? In what field? In what realm of study? We don't know. Teaching! Just the Harvard Master's Program of talk radio. 
And James is such a fancy smarty pants and vest that he got into the senior scholars program. Okay. Sounds made up. And not only that, he gets a full scholarship to have it. No. Okay. So I said, oh, I'm sorry. Who was his dad again? I really, I hate being skeptical about things like this, but you absolutely have to know someone to get into Harvard. Yeah. But his dad is no longer with us, RIP. But he lobbied his son's way into Harvard from the grave because he was a lobbyist. I think people start trying to get their kids into those good preschools before they're even born, yeah, before true. they're even conceived. Yeah. Little Chesterfield is getting yeah. <laughs> pushed into whatever preschool in the Upper West Side. So Upper East Side. Chesterfield. <laughs> Sorry, it's that's a piece a, of furniture. That's a cigarette too. Okay, never mind. No one's, people are maybe naming their dogs Chesterfield, but maybe not. They're babies. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. It'll be a new thing. So everybody's super, super happy for this, the couple, and they moved to a beautiful house in Watham. So now we are in Massachusetts. And miraculously, somehow they're both able to keep their jobs and work remotely. Hmm. What dream world is this? They get a big old house in Massachusetts, get to work remotely, and he's going to Harvard? Yeah. Okay, cool. So they also managed to find the perfect work life balance, which is portrayed by a reenactment in the kitchen where Julie suddenly appears wearing a sexy negligee and James hastily ends his work phone call so they can go and do the business. He says, something came up. Get it? I, I do. Was it on purpose? I don't know if it was on I purpose. I think it might have been. Okay. It's James, after all. He's a cheesy. He's a cheese ball. Yeah. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> so... Oh, brother. But money is all okay, too. They both drive new cars, and Julie even tells her mom that she's able to put money into savings every month. And I have decided that that is the dream. Yeah. I'm giving up on the garage fridge. Right. That signifies making it. Right now, putting monthly deposits into a savings account, that's when you know. You've made it. The dream, the impossible dream, <laughs> to fight the unbeatable foe. Okay. This is my quest. <laughs> Follow that star. Anyways, Julie begins to get a little sick at this point in our tale. And she is hopeful, kind of, because she thinks she might be pregnant and this might be morning sickness. But sadly, it turns out to be that cranky old kidney disease she had when she was a kid. It's acting up again, but it's a lot more serious now because she's an adult. The next scene, James and Julie are in some sort of just a couple's night or whatever, and Julie is real ill at this point. And her friend Christina tells us that she was having bouts where her words were really slurred, and she was basically just having really severe flu-like symptoms. But she looks terrible in these scenes. Mm -hmm. I would not want to go out to my friend's house. She looks like the girl from the ring like she's just dark circles under and drugged she looks like meg from little women (laughs) little she does she looks like fantine yeah Yeah. it's bad notice that james seems to be improving a lot of his lines and not doing a great job he stumbles over them a lot like when they're at the doctor's office he says was it the kidney failure or not the failure failure but when her kidneys weren't when she was younger like he can't even why'd they use that take there wasn't I another actually take? thought he was pretty good. I thought that was a realistic, believable way to do that. Kim, not for Kimberly. It's so we're so used to on TV people speaking perfectly that when they mix up or stumble over their words, it seems unnatural <laughs> because 
That is It's like, why would they use that take? But in reality, it's brilliant because that is how normal people talk. I found his sort of manner, the actor's manner, very good. I thought that he was believable. I fell for it. Yeah, no, I think he did a good job. I just didn't realize it was so improv I mean, who else are they going fi- to give the job to? They're not going to be able to find another six-foot redhead with freckles on the spot. I just assumed there was an intern writing a lot of these scripts. That could be happening, too. Yeah. Yeah, we've had that question before. So she's very sick at this meeting. She starts drinking sports drinks at this point, And at this, I said, uh-oh. Mm-hmm. That's not good to balance her electrolytes because she's having these flu-like symptoms, which I'm guessing they mean she's vomiting and stuff. So she keeps going to the doctors. She keeps getting sicker and then she'll get a little bit better and then she'll get sick again. It's just up and down. And James is with her the whole time. He's by her side caring for her. But now we're at Labor Day and we are at the beginning of the whole episode when Julie falls into her coma Her illness has finally taken over. And James calls Julie's parents to fly out to Massachusetts. They show up and a very important doctor comes in to tell us that there are test results. Or tell James anyways. Julie is positive for, you guessed it, ethylene glycol poisoning, which is the antifreeze poison. I mean, the minute we hear sports drinks. Which is why the episode is called Frozen Killer. A.K.A. DJ Freeze. Yeah. DJ Freeze. It should be called the Anti-Frozen Killer. DJ Anti-Freeze. DJ Anti-Freeze. Yeah, it's here. We've done it. So the doctors try to give her the antidote, but it's too late to be effective. There is a little bit of a rigmarole in the hospital scene right now, which I didn't like. The hospital scene was a little too much. I feel like we could have gotten the gist without all the... Ho- it's hard. Also, if anybody spent time in hospitals, it's not fun to watch these scenes. These right. are hard. They're complicated. So it's very sad. She's placed on life support. And after the weekend is over, at the end of the weekend, the decision is made to take her off life support. Well, they waited the weekend. No, I'm sorry. It's the way that they're framing this. They say minutes go by, then minutes turn into hours, then hours turn into days. And I'm waiting for it to be that she was on life support for six months, right? Right. No, no, ma'am. And at the The end of the Labor Day weekend, and I'm like, what day did she go in? Hours turned into two days. I feel like they shouldn't have built it up like that. Yeah. Uh, So uh, after a few days, the choice is made to take her off life support. And it's super tragic. She's only 31 years old. Yeah. But I did like this next part because behind the scenes, the hospital's been busy and they have already called the police. Of course, because it's poisoning. So Detective John Bailey comes on the scene and it's his first day on the job. And of he's course. got a Boston accent. <laughs> yeah. Which I can't. Harvard. I can only do Harvard. <laughs> I can't really do anything <laughs> How else. How do you like them apples? Is that, I can't do it. Okay. Neither one of us can do it. So you're welcome, everybody. There won't be any. There will be minimal Boston accents in this. <laughs> but he's actually very delightful. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We actually, we talked to the real Detective John Bailey. Yeah, and I like he's, him. Yeah, he's great. Also, I felt very confident with him. First day or nothing. Fine. Yeah. It's fine. You were going to do the job. So he tells us right now that there are only four kinds of death, natural, accident, suicide, and homicide, which I had never heard that before. And I was kind of shocked. <laughs> I, I was thinking in my head, that's it? How many episodes of Dayline have we covered? But why did we not know? Is, that a, is this a thing that they cover in like Police Academy? It must be like a, or maybe it's like a thing that is on autopsy reports, manner of death. 
And there's only four. No, and there's a fifth, undetermined. Undetermined, right. Yeah. And that's the tricky one, that one on the end, the pinky. Okay. So natural and accident are pretty much ruled out of the picture right away. So now they are investigating this as a homicide. No, they're not. They're investigating this as a suicide. You heard me right. See, I could have told them right away. A suicide, Kimberly. Okay, this was rough for me. So here's what happened. Julie had gotten really depressed when she started to get sick because she believed it was her kidneys. And she was doing all of this research to figure out if she could still have a baby with not fully functioning kidneys, which I don't think is a thing. I don't think you can. So I think she was getting some bad news. I think that's what happened in Steel Magnolias to Shelby. Is it really? Am I wrong? She was going through a lot of dialysis. She was. But she did have a baby, but it put too much strain on her body. Oh my God, you're right. Is Tom Skerritt still with us? Yeah, I think so. Okay, cool. But not doing anything? No, I'm sure he is come on this podcast as a guest we could just ask him about his career okay anyways i think you're exactly right now that i think about it okay that's very sad so she also felt as her sickness got worse that she was going to become a burden to her husband and family so that's why the detectives think she might have drinking this lethal dose of antifreeze all by herself and there's this really sad scene they do it a couple of times where they reenactment inside the reenactment, so it's it's an inception. And always, if they're telling a story or imagining something, it's in black and white. Right. So she's walking to the park all by herself to just stare at the children playing and laughing in the park, <laughs> and then, like a zombie. She's just so ill and so depressed, which they portray as like. Being like a zombie. Like a zombie. Walking to the park, then walking back to the house. Pours... It literally looks like a zombie because it's like it's like Evil Dead or something. It looks like Samara. <laughs> You're right. It looks like the ring. She's got yeah. long, dark hair and she and then she Night walks. Night of the Living Dead, I mean. Yeah. yeah. She walks back to the house, drinks the antifreeze, and that's it. So it's very sad. But they also are not taking into consideration that this is a, a very, well, they do start to take it into consideration. This is a very painful way to die. She is a nurse. She does know that. She does know that there's an antidote for this. She's also telling all her friends at this point that she really wants to get better. And she's putting all of her energy into just getting better so she can stop being sick or figure out why she's sick. James, meanwhile, in his best stripe polo, is very helpful to the investigation team. And he wants to help in any way he can push the investigation along and figure out why his wife killed herself. I have problems with James. So Detective Bailey takes his team on the road after about a month of trying to figure this out. They go back to Missouri. They meet with the family and friends of Julie and James. And James' mom, Joni, greets the detectives, <laughs> offers them snack and pop, and sees if they and asks if they want to spend the night because she's got a spare room. And she's oh got, I've got lots God. of towels. How are you? It's so good to meet you. You're the investigator of my daughter-in-law who just died. Like, she's so happy. She's hugging him. So much hugging. It's so Joni. It is. That's why I said it. Again, a woman is dead. It was your daughter-in-law. She's very exuberant. I think she's yeah. just, that's who she is. So... Yeah. They say that that's where James got his exuberant personality. Yeah, that's one word for it. 
maybe. But I think you also have to look past the exuberant personality because other things can be passed down through the genes. And sometimes you just don't know what's happening in your bodily makeup, period. Luckily, there's a test for that. Mm-hmm. Not for exuberance. But I know you can check your thyroid, and I know you yeah. can check for food sensitivity. Are your bowel movements as slow as James's grandfather? Maybe it's eggs. Maybe it's almonds. Maybe it's Maybelline bananas. You don't know. If you struggle with common symptoms like bloating, stomach aches, migraines, indigestion, they could be related to food. You should try Everly Wells food sensitivity test. Yes. I did it. It is so accurate. At least it was for me. I just finished like a five month long diet and basically got the same results as I did from taking the Everly Well test last year. So trust me. It works. Everly Well has over 30 very affordable at-home lab tests to choose from, like food sensitivity, metabolism, sleep and stress, and thyroid. I've also done the allergy test. I'm doing the metabolism one next because it's certainly not all the guacamole I've been eating that's stopping me from losing weight. It's got to be my metabolism. Check it. Check it and check it often. Yes. Everly Well ships your at-home lab test straight to you with everything you need for a simple sample collection. For the metabolism one, you prick your finger and you give a saliva sample. And they have directions and they have videos explaining how to do it. Also, customer service is really great. I had a question for them. I emailed them today at 1045. I got an email back at 1120. So fast. Oh, life goals. I know. So you collect your sample, put it in this prepaid shipping label that they give you. You mail it back to their certified lab. And in days, your physician reviewed results and actionable insights are sent to your device. Then you can share them with your doctor and you can decide on the next steps. Over 1 million people have trusted Everly Well with their at-home lab testing I'm a big fan. And as listeners of the show, Everly Well is offering a special discount of 20% off Ooh. at an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash date dateline. That's everlywell.com slash date dateline for 20% off. Everlywell.com slash date dateline. So you won't be doing this. So we can all feel Everly Well. You got to do the farting noise. She gave me a look like you do the farting noise this time. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you Everly really well. well. Okay. So the detectives are visiting James' mom. They get all they need. They head back to Watham and switch places with James. James is feeling very sad and lonely in Massachusetts at this point without his wife. So he just locks up the pretty house they were living with. They were living with. They were living in and goes home to stay with his mom. Sorry. Mommy. I wrote, does James call his mom mommy? Of course he does. He goes to Harvard. I would say 90% of, I, I can't say that. Sorry. I'm sorry that, to all of our Harvard graduates <laughs> that listen to this podcast. I, 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 if you, you do, I'm sorry for so You have a real stigma about days. Harvard in your mind. I have a what? You have a real prejudice against Harvard people. It's not just Harvard. There's a few of those schools <laughs> that I have a real, Yale, the, that's the other one. Did you say Yale? I did say Yale. So, um, not because I didn't get in them. She's not bitter. Most likely to succeed. <laughs> sure. Okay, so here we go. So he goes to stay with mommy and spend time with his childhood friends. Now we flash to Jefferson City, Missouri at a bar with an old friend where we get another crazy reanatomic within an... 
reenact enactment within a reenact enactment. James is telling his buddy the story of the night before Julie went into the coma. This is all in black and white, and it really is like the ring at this point because she's got fully white outfit on and black hair in front of her face. James says she was on a bazillion medications, like medications on top of other medications that none of stacks these were, on stacks, stacks on stacks, n- no regulation, just pills. And she gets up in the middle of the night and just starts walking down the street, finds a Gatorade bottle, perhaps with some discarded antifreeze in it that somebody had, I don't know, changed their coolant in the middle of the street and left the Gatorade bottle on the road for a child to drink or a, a homeless person. I don't know. No one's doing that, but it's fine. No one is doing or maybe that. a woman who's on stacks on stacks of medication. So she drinks from the Gatorade bottle filled with antifreeze because she'd been drinking from Gatorade bottles all the time. And then actually, I'm sorry, they're calling it sports drink at this yeah. point. I can't. It's fine. We know what they mean. So then he realizes she's not in bed jumps up runs outside and she is in the front yard on the grass making snow angels but there's no snow she's just doing that weird movement so he picks scoops her up carries her back inside and he keeps saying she's just so looped out she's so looped out he said looped out 45 times which i yeah he did i think he meant loopy yeah. Looped out is new. It was a nice try, James, but the police have already looked into all of that. They've already looked into the accident factor on the list of the four deaths long time ago. That was already done. My favorite line, again, which makes me think it's improv, is he says to his friend, ever since that night, she wasn't the same. She died like the next day. She was in a coma the next day. What do you mean ever since that night? She wasn't the same. Like they were years passed after that, but she was never the, the next same. Six to 12 hours. She was not the same. She was not the same. Yeah, that it was a weird thing. I thought that story was very good, though, the way he told it. I thought it was good. But the friend is like, yeah, of course, that makes sense. Someone, yeah, coolant. Yeah, it, totally in a Gatorade bottle. Yeah, Friends that makes, are, and she pulled it out of the trash. Yeah, he's that totally makes sense. He's a really good liar. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget, he's that good of a liar. So the detectives are trying to investigate this as a homicide. Now they've pretty much ruled out the other three possible ways she could have died. And they get a break in the case. James and Julie's home in Watham was pretty much completely deserted. And the landlord called the police because he didn't know what was going on. No one was there. The rent hadn't been paid. The heat was off, which you haven't... Do you remember from Virginia? The heat can't be off. Because your pipes will freeze. Because the pipes will freeze. Yeah, we had a a very near situation because we forgot to call the oil person to come and fill the oil. It was a scandal. I think Oliver bought seven of those plug-in heaters because we were trying not to freeze the pipes. Oh my God. It was really scary. It was intense. Anyways, it's just a completely deserted house. So the detectives are let inside to look around. And it looks like he just honestly decided, well, this is good, got in his car and took off. There's dishes in the dishwasher. Yeah, they said Thanksgiving. Did he cook a turkey? I heard Thanksgiving dinner, but I thought it happened on Labor Day. Yeah, but he didn't leave until Thanksgiving, I guess. Okay, so did he have Thanksgiving with by himself or with friends from Harvard? Well, 
I don't know. How did they know he was there on Thanksgiving? Because was the turkey platter out? Yes, it's like literally the remains, but there were no bugs or maggots or anything like that. So I don't really understand. Anyways, continue. so we took out the trash. OK, I don't know. We yeah, we have questions about this, but there's basically everything's just still there. Also, it's really important. The things that are there that shouldn't be there. So, for example, mementos like Julie's wedding gown, all of the sympathy cards he had received since her death were just lying on the table. All of his Harvard memorabilia and really weirdly he left her wedding ring he didn't even take that with him and they say julie's wedding ring the one she wore every day which led me to believe that she had several oh maybe she have a fancy one and a not fancy one maybe i don't know i have questions about that that's very odd that he would leave that Detective Bailey says it's almost like he just left her behind in Watham. It's a very sad thing. So obviously James is very suspicious to the detectives now. And I I have to believe that he was suspicious from the jump, but it's fine. Also, Julie's friend Christina says she talked to James after he moved back to Missouri and said, hey, we really don't want you to be alone. Come stay with us. We want to see you. And Julie was literally this woman Christina's maid of honor. So they were very, very close, very good friends. And he said, sure, sure, I'll call you when I'm settled. Because at this point, he had decided he didn't want to live with Mammy anymore. He was going to move out to his own apartment. And the next time Christina calls him, all of his phone numbers had been changed. That's creepy. So detectives go and check with Havid to see if they had any information on James. And my, oh my, oh my. Of course they don't. Because, of course, he didn't go there. He wasn't registered, and Harvard does not give out full scholarships, friends. You have to know someone. But weirdly, he was going and hanging out in Harvard Square, just not actually going to classes. And this is maybe the scene that annoyed me the most in the whole thing. Kimberly, tell us why. The scene where he's, like, walking down the steps with sunglasses? Not that one. from side to side? Not that one furtively no not like that hiding behind oh, the when pillar. she hugs him she hugs him and then walks away no i'm talking about when he's hanging out on the lawn <laughs> and sunbathing and lifts up his pant legs and puts on maybe suntan lotion and like <laughs> lays back in the sun luxuriating and then plays a few rounds of frisbee which i can't <laughs> do frisbee that's that it was maybe gives me ptsd it was frisbee golf. yeah frisbee gives me ptsd we won't be doing <laughs> I, I can't stand it it's like hacky sack both of those things if i never see it again frisbee i can see on a beach with a dog right but not or children no college age men with a frisbee <laughs> i feel like they're just gonna yell at me that's like a teen response Yes. I feel like I'm going to get mocked. So I don't, I avoid that at all costs. So it's really gross. Also, he's in a sweater vest the whole time. Yeah. He's dressing the part for Harvard. Can't stand it. But now a very important moment happens because we have a card being placed very auspiciously on a table that simply says Harvard. (laughs) It's just placed there. It's like a little card. It may not seem important, but we're building up to something here. So James is very clearly lying about some stuff, mainly that he was enrolled in higher education. And the police find out that he has gone back to his roots as a profession, and he is now the new host of a popular radio call-in show in Jefferson City. And not just going back to his roots as a host, he's going back to the name he used to use. 
<sighs> J.P. O'Neill here, back in the saddle. All I can say is T-G-I-F. Really original material. I really can't. Oh, and also really original. The show's called Party Line. Uh, and it's such a hit that apparently he's signing autographs outside of the studio. And the show bumps Dude, him. this giddy girl is so giddy over meeting him. Is that weird? Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't like it. I didn't like it a bit. And he goes, no, I do it all the time. No, you don't. No, you don't. This is the first autograph you've ever signed. Stop. So the show is so popular, though. Party Line is such a hit that it moves from once daily to twice daily, which is a lot of work. To me, that sounds exhausting. You have to be on for that chunk of time. Yeah. But he's just always on. Yeah, because he's a sociopath. Yeah, he never turns it off. He's life of the party. They actually say life of the party. They did. I know. Sociopath. So he also joins the local press club, question mark. I don't know what a press club is. Do you know what that is? For people in the news? For people in media? Yeah, I guess. Okay. And he's given the nickname Mr. Big Deal. Because they couldn't just go with Mr. Big because that was copyrighted. Is that why? So Mr. Big Deal meets a lady at the club named Laneige Johansson, right? And he starts to date her. And they do dating things. He tells her about his important, powerful lobbyist father who passed away. And they take pictures in one of those photo booths where two people sit really close and it's four pictures in a row. They have them at roller rinks. Oliver and I have done it, and it gave me a weird feeling in my stomach when I watched them do it. I did not like it. I did not like it. Those are the pictures Oliver carries in his wallet. It's like from our second date. Aw, that's cute. No, it's not cute anymore, is it? And especially because the actor, he's like, do we do Goofy? Do we do Goofy? They're trying to decide what to do for the first picture. And then he stuck his finger up her nose. Did you see? Yeah, he did. She seemed quite startled. And then she starts laughing, but I think he didn't mean to. I think he meant to touch the tip of her nose, but misjudged and it went up her nostril. (laughs) She was a good sport about it. She was a good sport. Good for her. So just nine months after Julie's death, Lene and James are now a full-on item. And we get shots of James being very showy with his cash and like plunking money down on this pool table at the press club with his bow tie unraveled. And here you go, here you go. I think he's paying off a bet or something. And so apparently he's Mr. Big Deal always paying the tab everywhere, just flashing money. Uh, And then we get some on-screen intimacy, which is all I'm going to (laughs) say about that. And then James starts to talk to Lene about- It was a lot. I'm not going to say any more. Okay, sorry. It was was just a lot. It was too much for me. Yeah. And it almost made me not want to do the episode. So (laughs) it was, it's not that long, but it was too long for this. Yeah. So James starts to talk about Lene. He starts to talk to Lene about Julie's death a little bit. And he tells her that she died of kidney disease and it had been very painful to watch. That's an important sentence. It was painful to watch. Not painful for her. It was painful (laughs) for him to watch it. Right. Jerk face. But he is telling people all sorts of things, all sorts of ways that she died. None of which, by the way, mention ethanol glycol. Can't say it. That sounds right. None of them mention antifreeze. None of them mention poisoning of any kind. He told his friend Betsy it was stomach cancer. He told another person it was a childhood disease, which made me laugh because it sounds like rickets or like polio. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she. It sounds like she had the croup. It sounds like she had the croup. (laughs) 
Touch of the TB. Polio. It all sounds like those old Victorian child diseases. Yeah. I like the cop. He goes, why would he not just tell him she died from antifreeze poisoning? I mean, I can think of a few reasons. I can think of a few reasons. He's trying to get laid. He's trying to make friends. I can think of a lot of reasons. Yeah, I can think of a lot. Oh, and then he did tell somebody else that she killed herself. Yeah. So that's great. But the detectives are really busy digging into Mr. Big Deal. And a money card is added on top of the Harvard card on this little thing. So now we see that they're building a little house of cards. It's late in the game to be doing this, but it does happen. Because usually that sort of symbolism carries out throughout the show. Normally, I would say this should have happened in the first six minutes. Yeah. It's fine. So it turns out that the savings account that I was so jealous of, if you recall, was actually not really a thing. And Julie was being totally duped. And their bank account was in the negative. But it gets even better than that because... Not only does he not have any money, he's one of those people that likes to pretend like they have a lot of money when they have no money. And he goes to their class, his high school reunion, and he shows up in this yellow Chevy. It's an insignia I recognize that is not a Corvette. It's some sort of fancy sports yellow It's not, though. We are supposed to imagine if you will that it is a lamborghini but it is actually the chevy insignia they couldn't afford i'm just saying it's fine it's no shade on id i get it the yellow car was enough we got the point but he said that this car that he showed up to the reunion was specially made for him just for him it was a custom automobile it's great because the friend tells us that at some point in the reunion somebody there popped the glove compartment and it opened and all of the rental paperwork fell out. That's kind of a jerk move and it's something I would do because I do like calling people out on their BS. You're fun at parties. (laughs) He deserves it. It's good. I like it. And worse than that, he had been fired actually from that old marketing job that he had for larceny. He was making up fake invoices and stealing money from that company. Over $100,000. And the company didn't sue because they didn't want the scandal. Probably, I would guess, because it made them look bad, like someone was able to steal the money. Like their security isn't tight. I don't know. I would still sue. Yeah, I would think so. To get the money back. Yeah. But now an embezzlement card is added on top of the money card. So we've got three cards now. His lies were just really, really enormous. They were really, like, I think they were just too big. Right. Well, that house of cards is going to get so big, it's going to fall. It's going to tumble. Let's see what the card is that does it, and you won't believe what it is. Oh, by the way, I forgot to say that the Harvard acceptance letter was forged. That was a really deep lie. That's intense. This is also a really deep lie. On his last resume, that (laughs) the last resume he ever did, he listed the last job he had in Boston, like in Massachusetts, before he left as... He was the vice president of new media and marketing for Disney. <laughs> Did it show that he graduated? I wanted to. I have so many questions. And I also feel like that makes a lot of sense because Disney headquarters are definitely in Boston. Yeah, absolutely. For in Boston. sure. Yeah. So his friend Betsy said that also he had CDs in his car that he would play with him being the voice of ESPN. <laughs> yeah. What does that I think mean? he had created making it sound like he's reading sports 
course or something. But would he play the CD like it was, oh, look, here I am on the radio? That's what I'm wondering. That was exactly yeah. my question. Do you think that he played it off like, oh, it's weird that I'm on. I hate hearing my voice. Do you think he yes, did the exactly. whole thing? Ugh. Yeah. So now we have the resume card on top of embezzlement, which I feel like it's not as impressive as embezzlement. So I feel like, okay, it's fine. So he had told his friends at some point, probably throughout his whole life, that one of his favorite movies was The Usual Suspects. And lo and behold, I guess one of his user IDs was actually Kaiser Soze. He bragged that he could escape anything. Just like Kaiser Soze, tell a bunch of stories, people would believe him, he could get up, walk out, and then walk away from the crime that he'd committed. So now the card Con Man is added to the top of the House of Cars, which also stars the disgraced Mr. Spacey. Yeah. It's a little ironic, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Detectives are clearly worried that James could be planning his own Kaiser Soze. And we see James unfolding a giant map. <laughs> no one has maps on their phone. You got to unfold that big old <laughs> unfold thing. Unfold that giant map. Get that Thomas guy out. <laughs> Make yeah. it happen. Police were also nervous because he was trying to secure Julie's $250,000 life insurance policy, which I really feel like we could have known about before now. Yeah. Obviously, he's not going to get it because he's under investigation. But so we really weren't ever looking at suicide, right? I mean, the cop just was trying to, I feel like he only considered suicide for half a day. I don't feel like our beloved Havid talking cop wasted that much time on suicide. But I feel like he did kind of get the wool pulled over him by James. I think James is very charming. Yeah. I'm probably crying a lot. Yeah. But so now we put insurance money. It's on the very tippy tippy top of the house of cards. But actually what causes the house to fall is this next bit of information. It was the fact that James had told some friends that if police did come for him, he was planning to flee to Prague. <laughs> and somebody pushes the house of cards and it all comes crumbling down. And I'm like, wait, why Prague? Why is that the thing? I feel like he saw some movie like The Talented Mr. Ripley or something. Where's Prague? Do you know where Prague is? Is Prague in Czechoslovakia? You bet it is. Capital of Czech Republic. Okay, there we go. We're learning things every day. Now you know, by the way, now you know the capital of the Czech Republic. Yep. Look how smart you are. Pull that out at your next party. Yep. So the house of cards has collapsed. It's the detective's time to move in. So they fly out to Jefferson City. Prague was Prague was a bridge too far. They had, they had to go. They fly out to Jefferson City and coordinate with the local police to grab him at the radio station where he was working. And I loved this all the way to the radio station. They're listening to his voice on the radio. They walk up to the receptionist and they say, we are here for James Cowan. And she says, oh, are you his guest? And the U.S. Marshal says, no, he's our guest. <laughs> and you know they all tell that story. Yeah. Oh, it's the Pam Smart line. Yes, it is. That's the one. That's the yeah. one story. Anyways, they run to the stairway because she points like at the stair, the stairway over on the left and they all go charging for it. And just at that moment, he's coming out of the sound booth in what's he wearing? He's wearing neon green suspenders and a green bow tie. Yeah. The suspenders might be a, a bigger slap than the vest <laughs> because it's, that's full magician attire. 
yeah. suspenders, bow tie. And now I'm realizing that magician attire is very, very close to con man attire. Mm-hmm. They could be interchanged. Just well, saying. aren't magicians just illusions? Illusions, Michael. Tricks are something a blank does for money. That's right. And con men are illusionists of a sort. That's right. Mm-hmm. They think he's going to run, but he doesn't. He just, burr, 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 DJ freezes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you knew that was going to happen. Don't Don't pretend. But they got him. They got their guy. Good job, Detective Bailey. So friends and co-workers can't believe it. He's obviously arrested, by the way. And they take him back to Watham to charge him and try him for murder. Friends and co-workers all think this is a huge mistake. But actually, it's James who makes the mistake right now. He tries to get someone at the radio station to get rid of his personal laptop. But the police are onto it. I'm assuming he used his call to a lawyer to call that receptionist. And we finally... After we, after the detectives get the laptop, sorry, it's not we, although I feel like I'm on their team. So we finally get a clear picture of what actually happened Labor Day weekend. It's really sad. He was just looking up how to buy poison and how to kill someone. And she was constantly, desperately searching for a way to get better. Mm. It's incredibly sad. Now we go into another reenactment of the night of and this is sort of told through the prosecuting attorney they do a courtroom scene and he tells you what they think happened that night this is supposedly a trial and they say that something to do with the mother-in-law coming in a week i don't know what that meant i think there was another sentence that was left off because i don't know what that meant or why that made any difference that she was coming any idea Mm. Mm-mm. Okay, so he gave her a fatal dose of the antifreeze, a big cup of it, and said, this is doctor's order. She drank the whole thing down, and then he just waited. He just waited because he knew if he took her to the hospital too early, they would save her. They could save her. He waited until he thought she wouldn't be saved. Echo, I will not. I will not be <laughs> silenced. <laughs> so it's really, really sad. And during the trial, he shows no emotion. James is just stone-faced, and he gets life in prison. Good. I'm sure his fart jokes will amuse all the other convicts. I'm sure he's going to take on a whole new personality. Yeah. He's that guy. He's going to yeah. fit into whatever because he's a sociopath. Instead of Mr. Big Time, he's Mr. Big House. Did you write drop that down mic. or did you just think? No, it? I just thought of it. Did you drop Did you drop a mic right now? Yeah. Okay, I that's just dropped good. an yeah, invisible mic. That was really good. <laughs> At this point, all the interviewees talk about how he lied about everything and the various reasons why he could have done this because he still doesn't admit to it having done it because he pled not guilty. So nobody knows the actual motive. So some people think life insurance. Some think that he couldn't stand being a failure. Someone said that it was kinder to kill her than for her to figure out that he was a fraud. Mm. That's a good one. I like that one. Regardless, he's never going to admit his guilt. And Christina says that she thinks, remember, Christina is Julie's friend, that if she called him today, he would still try to convince her that Julie tried to kill herself. Yeah. And then this is the weirdest part. Betsy, his childhood friend, tells us that James wrote her from prison and said, the view outside my dorm room window is beautiful. Snowing. I love the winters in New England. What's wrong with him? <laughs> Delusion is a hell of a drug. I think he can't be a failure. Yeah. I think it's just part of him. Did you hear his father was a lobbyist? Not sure if you heard that. So Detective Bailey, this is 
the best ending ever, I thought. Actually, Julie's dad reached out to him and said, hey, could you do me a favor? Can you take me to where James is being held, where he's serving life in prison? And Detective Bailey says, sure, hop in. And Detective Bailey and Julie's dad go for a drive. And they're driving down these kind of old, you know, country roads. And they turn onto this one road. He says something to the effect of, what? Why did we turn here? Detective Bailey says, well, this is where the prison is. And he goes, huh, we're on Harvard Road. (laughs) I guess James finally made it to Harvard. That was good. That was cute. It was really great. I thought it was perfect poetic justice ending. Yeah. And Detective Bailey is adorable and should maybe get his own show. Absolutely. And another guest on the show, which you didn't mention, but I will mention a friend of ours. The one, the only, Laura Bricker from... Crime Writers On. And she's awesome. She's a retired private detective and like a criminal investigator. And she's a true crime author. And she wrote a book about this case called Lie After Lie, the true story of a master of deception. And I think I want to read it now. That is the coolest thing. I did not put two and two together. That is the best. Yeah. She did great. She was fantastic. I'm sorry. I should have mentioned her. Yeah, she's like the main interview. She is one of the main interviews for sure. Yay. Oh, we should Yay, talk Lara. to her about this. This is a very fascinating case. I started out doing it because of DJ Freeze. Burp, burp, burp. But then uh, it was really fascinating. I know. I love a con man. I mean, I'm very sorry about the wife, but. Oh, it was incredibly sad. It was so unfair. I'm so glad there was justice, though. And I think that this episode did a good job covering it. And I hope they feel like that, too. Yeah. Hope so. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to this. Ginger. Oh, because I know you're sad. The recap is over. No, it was really good. Ginger heard you talking smack about a ginger. (gasps) This that ginger is not being a good girl. And this ginger was being a bad boy. There we go. Ginger. You stop that. This is okay. She still loves you, Ginger. Don't worry. I'll be fine. Just this guy. Yeah, just this one. It's fine. Thank you, everyone, so much. Please follow us on social media, Date Dateline, on Instagram and on Twitter. It's very fun. And join our Patreon. We have a bazillion extra episodes on there if you want to hear them. They're pretty fun, I think. Yeah, and especially follow us on Twitter because I will be doing a poll that says, was the person voted most likely of your high school actually most likely to succeed actually successful? Or was it a curse? Or was it a curse? The pressure. It's like the first Oscar curse. They say like when you win your first Oscar, your next movie is horrible. Like Halle Berry and Cat, Batwoman, Catwoman, whatever. Adrian Brody. What happened after The remember. Pianist? That's not the uh, movie. That, that was the what's movie. His, what's his name? Show me the money. Cuba Gooding. And then his Snow next Dogs. movie was, yeah. But he had already probably made Snow Dogs. I know, but it's just a curse. It's just, it's an old wives' tale. I'll try to remember that for when I win my first Oscar. Thank yeah, you. you'll be fine. <laughs> it's good to know. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Yeah. I think it's just part of him. And then we end the episode. Did with- you hear his father was a lobbyist? Not sure if you heard that. Do you know what a lobbyist is? Yeah. I would like to know exactly what they do. I watched West Wing. Oh, that's right. You did. I watched Veep. Okay. I know what the whip is, though. I remember when you knew what the whip was. I know what the whip is. Okay. So...
detective, was that a shining moment of mine? Why do you remember when I learned what the whip was? I have a really good memory. It's really sad. Are you just writing down, she's not that smart? <laughs> Most likely to succeed? You don't think so? 